0: Uh, For those of you that are with us for the first time, my name is Carrie. My wife and I, the fiery prayer warrior that was up here a moment ago, are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church, and we just want to say welcome. Maybe some of you are here, and you're exploring faith, and you're not sure where it is you land or believe, and we just welcome. Take a deep breath. No pressure. And maybe you're here, and you're deeply pursuing this faith relationship with Jesus, then man, I want to say welcome as well. Here's what I do know. I think God is here and wants to do something profound in our lives. And I believe that there's something attached to whether or not we give him an opportunity to do that. We've got a treat for you today. It's going to be an exciting day. We're in part four of our series called The Way I See It. And we're unpacking the biblical truths that Jesus taught through stories called parables and pulling profound and powerful insight while simultaneously uncomplicating them. Before I dive in, I want to tell you about some exciting things. Uh, two things. We just want to welcome uh, Pastor Carrie, who is a new friend of ours. Would you just wave your hand and give her a great hand clap? Somebody brand new to some friendship. We're hoping you're not weird. We don't know yet. But uh, she runs a, a ministry, a freedom ministry, I believe it's called, and is good friends with our friend Mike Foster, who we've been able to do a lot of things with. So it's great to have you here today. But, uh, you know, if you're new with us or maybe you've been here multiple times, you realize that we have not been at a church forever. Ever. there's a reason why we rent out a, an auditorium at a high school is because we're almost six years old. This September, that's worth a hand clap. We'll be six years old. Come on. Yeah. Megan and I, when we moved out here to start this, didn't believe we would make it past week one. So we're here. It's a good thing. But uh, we are here as a church because of a few things. Number one, because God is faithful. Number two, because our pastors in Phoenix believed wholeheartedly in the two of us and made it financially possible for us to move here and start the church. And then the third reason is because of an organization called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And they are a church planting organization that we are a massive part of funding. And Megan and I actually help coach future church plants currently because we believe that the church is the hope of the world and it is the greatest evangelical tool in our nation today. So we're going to plant more churches. And when you give to the movement church, you actually are part of that. So you are responsible because of your generosity for helping almost 800 churches plant. Come on, give yourself a hand clap. That's pretty Pretty awesome. But we're not just committed to planting churches all around America, we're also committed to the great state of California. And we're not just committed to the great state of California, we're actually committed to the great county of Orange. And so I'm excited about today. I've brought in a good friend of mine, and he and his wife are actually planting a church this fall in Anaheim, and we could not be more excited. Now, I'm going to tell you why I brought him in in a moment. It's going to pertain to today's sermon in a way you can't even imagine but I want to give you a heads up at the end of our service today I'm going to give you an opportunity to financially give towards their church plant Uh, because it's one thing to say we believe in you and we're here for you it's another thing to put your money where your mouth is right and so as a church we are aggressively helping them financially and with everything that we possibly can because we know it takes more than just one church to reach the 2.7 million unchurched people in Orange County. Now, he uh, and his wife, Matt and Bianca Oltoff, are some of the greatest people on the planet. They've become dear friends to us. Uh, But in addition to being a pastor, he's also a level three sommelier. I think I said it correctly. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. I'll tell you in a moment. If you do know what that means, you're already excited about today. What that means is that he knows everything there is to know about wine. Now, pause. Hit the brakes. Freak out. Don't freak out today is not a service about whether or not you should drink alcohol. We can have conversations about that afterwards if you would like, okay? But what you're going to find is that God has uniquely crafted Matt Oltoff, not only the ability to pastor a great church in Orange County, but he's given him some insight in relation to wine in the teachings of Jesus. So today the parable that we're unpacking is found in John chapter 15. Now we've been reading from the the scriptures of the New King James version because I believe most people equate the New King or the King James version to how God speaks but really no it's just how they wrote this Pa- particular translation in the mid 1600s. So I'm going to read the parable we're unpacking today and then I'm going to give Matt an opportunity to blow your mind. So I hope you're ready. Check this out. John chapter 15 in the King James version, it says this, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. I told my wife to start calling me that from now on, husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, guys, God doesn't speak this way. I just let you know that, okay? Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth. We should just add TH to every word we speak for the rest of the day. He purgeth, that it may bring forth more fruit. Check out this next verse. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, also I feel like we should refer to each other as ye for the rest of the day. No, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Look at verse five. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Now before I bring my friend Matt to drop bombs in your face, we read this same scripture to some of your children. How many of you love this part of this series so far? We read the same scripture, <laughs> this is a good one, to some of your children. And we said, would you retell this story as if Jesus was telling it to you right now? Would you retell the story the way you see it? So check this out with some of your kids. Um, once upon a time, there's these two people named Shaggy and Scooby. He grow an apple tree. And then the apple tree was filled with tons of apples but then one day they found out that there was no apples there was no more apples in the tree. So then they were really hungry but then they could but then they had to go into the mystery machine but then they didn't have any gas so they had to walk there. They didn't they said that Scooby we gotta go get some more apples. They said that the tree, we don't like it. So then they got they got rid of it by cutting it into wood pieces and turning it into paper. The end. Alright, alright. Can we give it up for some of your kids? We're worried about their theology. Actually, Sean and Maria, we are praying for your family. <laughs> I'm proud of them for knowing who Scooby is and the Mystery Machine. But ladies and gentlemen, I brought in my friend to talk to us about this pair. Would you give it up for my friend, Pastor Matt Oltoff. Come on, like you mean it.
1: Good morning. 11 o'clock is clearly where it's at. You guys got energy, you're caffeinated, you ready to go? Or are we ready to open these bottles? Whichever one you want to do. But you know, um, just uh, I love uh, just being here. I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you, uh, Pastor Kerry and, and Megan. Uh, we, uh, we're just honored to be a, a part of what you guys are doing in the Ark and, um, and just we're excited. And they've become great friends to us. And just an encouragement as we're uh, in the midst of, you imagine six years ago when you guys were planting church, that's where we're at. And we launched in September. So Um, But our church is called the Father's House Orange County. And uh, it really kind of originated, actually, um, you were at the first... We had a a, a gathering at our house and that just kind of became a church. And so um, we, we, the father's house, we love that it started in a house and a home. And we love that just people are invited around a table to have a conversation about Jesus. And that's really what our heart is. Um, Anaheim for us, we really kind of see that as a little bit of the hub of Orange County. And we really had a passion to go into that space where it's, um, I think it's the highest concentration of under 35, which they're the biggest population that's not in the church. And so really have a heart to do that. And so we're, we're excited, um, we, we are um, scared to death, and, and we, we need you guys in it too with us. So we are thankful and grateful as we go forward. So we've got some of our team uh, here, so shout out to them, they're, they're, they're learning from you. And uh, I, I don't know how I got the lucky straw to talk about wine on stage as a It's like every pastor's dream, right? You know, you get to talk about wine and food and, and all that kind of stuff on the stage. And so we're going to dive in. And, and here's just a couple of things I just want to share with you. Again, I, just when Pastor Kerry said this, this is not an alcohol conversation. This is not an alcohol conversation at all. Uh, you, if you love wine, awesome. I love wine. High five. But this is not an alcohol conversation. This is about understanding the depth of what Jesus is talking about in John 15. And I think you have to understand some of the history behind that. Here's, uh, I was just at a workshop uh, this weekend and we're talking about story and the power of story. And here's what came out of that workshop. Story is the most compelling way to move the human brain, to convict the human brain, it's pretty crazy. And it's not like you know. we talk about the universal languages and the universal language of Italian or French or English, we all think it's English is the universal language. Um, what we learned is story is the universal language. And Jesus knew that. And so he told stories for a reason. He told them to create depth and, and purpose and, and significance as he was telling these stories. And so we're going to talk about stories today. And here's a couple things I want you to know about just the stories of Jesus. And this is kind of frames how we're going to go about and talk about uh, wine and John 15 and the vine and all that kind of stuff today is the first thing you need to know about stories is that when Jesus told stories, they were incredibly countercultural. He knew the context for that moment when he told stories. And so we're going to look at the context. We're not just going to look at a couple verses. We're going to look at the situation that was happening when Jesus told this story of John 15. I think that's going to be uh, kind of blow your mind a little bit too. But he was incredibly countercultural. And he came to really turn the world upside down. And so he knew what was going on in people's minds. And I kind of like to think that when when he told stories, he kind of, it was like the curveball. It was like a punch in the face, right? Like he kind of got people thinking and reeling when he told stories. And so when he's telling the story of John 15, it's meant to be countercultural. And we'll talk about that in a second. The other thing is that he was incredibly intentional with the examples that he chose to use. Now, I know in America, and actually this is, we were just in, a, in Italy a couple of weeks ago doing a trip and teaching through Romans. And what was amazing is you realize that America is the only country where food and wine have been bifurcated. I mean, uh, food and culture and wine and culture have been bifurcated. You think about Italy and France and Europe and all these places is that food and wine and culture is so integrated together. We were in Italy and we were looking at these vineyards and they were like 89 years old. That's older than the whole wine industry in America. Okay, so it's interwoven together. They're never meant to be separated. They're never meant to be judged. And in fact, it was in, the, 19, in the, the late 1800s, the wine industry started here. And then in the 1920s, the prohibition hit and it really took wine out of our culture and it became taboo. That's when everything happened in terms of being taken out of the church. It became kind of bifurcated in that. And what happened, it wasn't until 1960, Robert Mondavi brought wine back into our culture and in Napa Valley, which, you know, great great Napa Valley, right? And, and so we're really only 58 years old compared to what's happening in some of these places in Europe. And so when Jesus taught his disciples, he knew how integrated these examples would have been. You know, it wasn't just a random example of a branch divine. vine. He was talking to a staple of culture and really helped them resonate with what that meant. The other thing about Jesus when he tells stories is that he just doesn't tell you a story to keep you where you're at. He tells you a story to drive a truth deep into your heart where you are changed forever. That's what he tells stories for. And so as we dive into this, I, b- I believe John 15 is one of those passages that just, is, just will blow your mind in terms of the heart uh, of the gospel message that's integrated in there. But it really mean, it really has to do with what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And, and I love that, you know, Pastor Megan said as we are coming in here is that, you know, I mean, you just, you turn on the news and there's just all kinds of stuff happening in our world. And some of you came in here with the spirit of fear. Some of us came in with a sense of just, we're overwhelmed. We're, we're sad. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I don't know where you came into this space today. I'm glad you're here, but I want to let you know that wherever you're at today, this message is for you. If you're new to the church, this message is for you. If you have no idea who Jesus is, this message is for you. If you're looking at your life and you're wondering how I got in the situation that I'm in and I'm overwhelmed and I'm fearful and I'm stressed, this message is for you. This is a powerful example of the gospel and what it means to follow Jesus. And so I'm really excited um, to dive into this and uh, I'm thankful that I have some sort of wine knowledge um, to, to walk you through this. I know you're probably thankful afterwards too, but um, it's just a fun topic. I don't you know, how do you pastor and wine? How do you bring those together? You know, like I should come up with a title, you know, um, minister of the vine, right? Or pastor of wine or something. I don't know. Super fun. Okay. So, um, let me pray for you guys and then we'll dive in and, uh, Carrie, you got to come up with a good title for that. Just mix them together, and come up with it. So, okay. Um, let me just pray for you guys and then we'll jump in. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that you are passionate about telling stories. We thank you that you are passionate about moving us to places of greater depth and relationship with you. And Lord, right now, we ask that all those things that are going on in our lives, that we just hold them at your feet, at the foot of the cross. And we just listen to your word. And Lord, let it penetrate our hearts. Let us become deeper connected to you because of today. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about um, you know, this kind of idea of John 15, and so what I want to do is I'm going to back up, and I'm not going to read these verses, but if you want to follow along, if you, like the, you love to follow along, we're going to start in John 12. And, and the reason why this is important, I'm just going to summarize through this. I'm not going you know, to camp on a verse, but I, just, I need you to understand the context in which John 15 takes place. In the wine industry, we would call that terroir, Terroir is the soil, it's the weather, it's everything in that area that impacts that grape. And there's certain grapes that are grown in certain terroir, and there's certain places that they're grown, but all of that impacts that. And when we look at Scripture, we want to understand the terroir of Scripture, the context of Scripture, of what's happening when Jesus actually tells this story, okay? So if you look at John 12, 1244, uh, you have this Picture where it starts. It says this on some of the translations. It says, "Hey, this is his last public teaching." Okay, so what we know about this is that Jesus is a few days away from going to the cross. Okay, so this is at the end of his ministry. His disciples have followed him for years. They've given up their life for him, um, and they don't. They they mentally don't understand what's going to happen in the next couple days. Okay. They think he's the Messiah, which he is, but he's going to overthrow the government and he's going to rule and his kingdom is going to be established on earth. That's what they're thinking in their mind. Okay. So their plan for life is not God's plan. That's, I mean, that's, that's going to be a word for somebody in this, in this room, but they, they had, they had their plan was going to be turned upside down. Okay. So Jesus is getting ready to give his last public message in John 12. You jump to John 13 and again, we're not going to go through this, but I'm going to set the stage, is that they are gathered in the upper room with his disciples. So there's 12 of them. They're gathered and they think this is an ordinary Passover meal that they're going to have. And what happens is Jesus starts to do some things that they have never seen before. He starts to say some things they've never heard before. And the things that he says start to create confusion. And in fact, they start to create fear. They start to get overwhelmed and they start to worry. Because their plan of what they thought life was going to be like was all of a sudden turned upside down in this, in this passage in John 13 and 14. And so when you see John 13, as the disciples are gathered in an upper room, they're hanging out, they're getting ready to eat together. This is something they would have done before. And Jesus does the last supper. He does the, the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. That would have been something new that they heard. What do you mean your body was broken for us? Hey, this is my blood, the wine. This is shed for you. What do you mean your blood is shed for us? So he's introducing these thoughts that are ultimately leading to death, but they don't know that. But it's creating this, this, this um, confusion in their mind. Then what he does is he does the last supper, and he does the, you know, the bread and the wine, and then he gets down and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, um, that was reserved for the lowest of, of slaves in that time. And you got to think about it. They didn't have like, you know, closed toed shoes and you know, the the roads were all paved, you know, it's like, you know, my wife is like at the end of the day, she's like, you know, she takes off her boot and I am just not a big feet fan, but she's like, would you massage my feet? You know? And it's like, you're like, okay. (laughs) I mean, so you can imagine they're covered in dirt, they're covered in mud and Jesus gets down and he says, let me wash your feet. And they're like, what? No, you can't do this. Why would you do this? And Peter, in fact, says, no way, I'm not doing this. And, and you know, Jesus says to Peter, hey, if I don't do this, you can't go forward in what I'm going to do. And he says, well, then wash me all over, right? Peter's kind of look crazy like that. <laughs> and so you have this moment of this foot, foot washing. This, the next, after this, is they're sitting around and Jesus starts to say, um, one of you is going to betray me. And he goes out and he points out Judas and Judas you know, freaks out, Satan kind of enters him and he gets up and he leaves. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever experienced betrayal in your life, but that's kind of a shocking thing, right? They've did life with this guy for three years. And so he gets up and he leaves. Now they're, now they're more confused what is happening in this space. And then he tells them that he's going to leave. I'm going somewhere where you can't go. And Peter, being the guy that he is, and he's like, well, I want to go with you, Jesus. He's like, well, you can't go. I'm going with you. And he says, in fact, you're going to actually deny me three times. And you can just see the disciples are reeling in this conversation and what's taking place. Like, this is not what they thought was going to happen that evening as they sat down with Jesus. And so then you go on to John 14. In fact, the very first part of John 14 it says this um, in some passages. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other versions, it says, don't worry or don't surrender to your fear. Okay? So Jesus knows that their hearts are now in turmoil as they're listening to this. He knows how fearful they are. He knows that their world has just been turned upside down. He knows that like, the life they thought they were going to live is not going to happen. He's, he's, he's sensing that in the disciples. And again, he says, I'm going to leave you And in that context, you got to understand the only way that you could be connected to the Father was through the religious elite and the Pharisees. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but yet you can, and they're going, well, how do we still know the Father? How do we still stay connected to Him? He's like, let me tell you how you stay connected to the Father. In fact, Doubting Thomas, he gets up and he's like, you know, he can sense the frustration. He's like, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we go there too, right? Like he keeps going through this passage. And so all of a sudden we get to... John 15, and you have this story of the vine. And I just want to, you know, kind of pause and just talk a little bit about how you guys came into this space in the church today. And I don't know about if you've ever been in a situation in life where life hasn't gone the way you thought it was going to go. You know, 10 years ago, um, I went through a divorce, and I didn't think life was going to go that way. My whole world was turned upside down. And I was faced in a situation of not knowing where finances were going to come from, not knowing if I could keep my job, not knowing what was going to happen to the kids. I mean, those are moments where your life is totally ripped apart. And that's what's happening with the disciples in this moment. And it's in that moment that they, all they have to hold on to is Jesus. And I remember as I was going through that, I was asking questions of, God, where are you? God, are you in this? God, are you for me? And God would whisper these things, Matt, I will provide for you. I will protect you. And I am preparing you. And those are moments that we all, that we just hold, that's all we have to hold on to. And I don't know where you are at today. My sense is, is there's some people in this room that that's where you came into the space today. God, are you in this? God, are you for me? God, do you even care? And our life seems overwhelming. And so Jesus, when he talks about John 15, this is the weight of when he's talking about John 15. It's not just some fun branch about, you know, or verse about branches and vines and that kind of stuff. It It is a weighty passage about how people stay connected to him amidst the chaos of life. And so he stops. They leave the upper room, and if you've been to Israel, there's a place where you can see the upper room, and when it's happened. And they go down this hill, and they walk across the hill into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he's going. That's ultimately where this is going to take place. And you can imagine right before he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he stops, and he sees a picture of uh, these vines coming up. I think they're coming up. He stops, and he sees these vines. And he pulls the disciples together. There's only 11 now. There's, you know, one's gone. And now he reads and says, John 15. Okay? I mean, it's a different context than I think what we normally read it. And so let me read this to you. And we'll kind of go through this and just the impact that he's talking about when he does this. It's an incredibly strategic time. The disciples feel like they're lost. They're wondering what's going to happen next. And he uses this passage to really weave them together to be connected to him. So John 15, I will not read the King James Version, sorry. I don't even know, I don't even know if those are real words. I think those are, those are made up. But um, John 15:1 says this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will, eat, they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me. We're going to come back to that. That's the abide If you were the the King James Version, that's the abide, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me, and I am them, will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So we're going to talk about that concept of remain in me and abide, but I'm going to go through this passage just really quickly. In the King James Version, there's nine times that word abide appears. And in fact, Paul in Romans six, when he's writing to the Romans and they're, they're questioning their faith, he talks about the same concept of we are with him in death. We are with him in resurrection. We are with him in baptism. We are connected and integrated into who Jesus is. That's the example of the vine that he's starting to bring with his disciples in this passage. And so the first thing I just wanna talk about is the vine. And we, we, should, we have this picture up here of the vines and uh, just to be clear, the next slide um, of the vine, you know, that t looking thing that kind of looks like a cross, that's the vine. It's not the branches that are coming out of it. It's not the green foliage that are on it. It's, it's that ugly, gnarly-looking thing that is the vine, okay? And what you need to know about the vine is a couple things, because what Jesus is saying, like, he doesn't just say, like, he, he doesn't pick one of the things on the plant and say, I'm just going to be that one. He picks the vine because of what it profoundly means for each and every one of us in this room. Okay, so he says the vine, how many of you guys are gardeners? you of a garden, plant, maybe like kind of a budding gardener, some people are, right? Okay, so with gardening, your job is to care for the plant, and we wanna make sure it has the best soil. In fact, we go to you know, Home Depot and all those places and get the best soil. We wanna make sure it has all the nutrients in the soil, you wanna make sure it's watered all the time, and we gotta follow these instructions to make sure the plant grows. That isn't the case with vines. The best vines are grown in the worst soil. Think about why Jesus said that for a second. Okay? The best vines are grown in the worst soil. The best grapes that you can find, the best wine that you can find, is grown in soil that's made up of volcanic ash, made up of gravel, made up of sand, made up of limestone. It's made up of all these things that you would never put in your plant in the backyard. And they're meant to grow. That, the, the reason why they do that is because they want the vines, check this out, Jesus the vine, they want the vines to grow deeper roots into the soil to look for the best nutrients. Okay? That's why they do that. And it's, it's not that they want to give all the nutrients. Think about if we were Christians, we had everything we need. We wouldn't need Jesus, Right? And so he's going, I'm the vine because no matter your situation, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what's happening, whatever the terroir is of your life, I am the source of everything you need to survive. And that's what he's saying in that passage. Stay connected to me, and my roots will grow down deep so that you can thrive. And in fact, what happens when the, when the, the vine does that is the green foliage, the pretty stuff, actually kind of goes away, and the vine has to solely concentrate on producing grapes. And that's what makes the grapes so amazing that you guys taste in some wines. And so then he goes on, and he says, um, you know, we, us, we are the branches. And if you look at that pack, the picture right there, the, the bunch of the, the branches sticking out, that's the branches. And every year, those are cut off and a new branch that's right, you can kind of see the buds, those will grow and a whole new vine will happen every year, or a branch will happen every year. And the branch's focus is to produce fruit, right? Is I wanna produce fruit. And so we've got some grapes over here, you know, the branch thinks about, we think about, you know, how do I produce fruit? How do I become the best fruit, the grape, that I can become? And a lot of times we get uh, a little angry and upset in the church or with God and say, God, look at all that I'm doing right? No, nobody else says this but me. God, look at all that I'm doing. I'm fruitful. God, you're moving. I got grapes. I got fruits, right? And then what he says is God, the Father, is the winemaker. You see, the winemaker isn't interested in this as the final product. The winemaker is interested in this in the final product. And you think about what the winemaker has to go through is they have a vision for whatever is happening in your life, whether it's the worst soil or the best soil, whatever fruit is coming out of your life, the winemaker says, I have a plan to make this into something you can't even believe it's going to taste like. And so you think about these, these are different wines, some of my favorite wineries. How many of you guys love Sauvignon Blanc? It's okay, You you can be honest in church. Some people are like... Me, I do, I do, don't tell anybody, don't anybody look at me, right? House lights down, I'm just kidding. But you know, a Sauvignon Blanc is a grape that is uh, typically grown in more cooler climates. Okay, the terroir. Um, and what happens with this, is the reason why I brought this up here is that it, it's, it's something that, when the winemaker wants to make Sauvignon Blanc, they actually are interested in getting this out as fresh as possible. And so it doesn't go through this crazy winemaking technique. It goes into some uh, stainless steel. And the stainless steel is meant to preserve the acidity and the freshness of the fruit. And you think Sauvignon Blanc, a really cold Sauvignon Blanc kind on of a warm you know, summer day. And, and that's what the winemaker has designed it for. They're saying, I, want, I had a vision for these grapes. Some of the grapes look all the same, right? But I have a vision that these grapes are going to become like this. And it's meant to be enjoyed a certain way. It's meant to be enjoyed earlier in your life sometimes. right? Um, Then we've got this one, Fontanella Family Winery. This is one of my favorite wineries. Uh, This is a Cabernet. How many of you guys cab fans in here, right? They're like, can you open that now, right? This is a good message. Um, You know, the Cabernet is grown in a place in Napa Valley from a place called Mount Veeder. Okay, Mount Veeder is on the top of the mountain, and it's a mountain that was actually came out of a volcano. So the grapes that are growing in this place they have a minerality to it. They have a rusticness to it. They're, they're fighting for their life diving into volcanic soil to produce an amazing grape that's going to go in that bottle. And ultimately, because we think our fruit is so great, right, it, the winemaker goes, you know what, I, I'm going to put it into a barrel. I'm going to press it. I'm going to crush it. That's nowhere in Scripture, right? Pressed down, crushed. You know, um, in fact, you know, I'll read that. That's Romans, uh, Romans five three. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, the pressing, the crushing, crushing. For we know that that uh, they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fear our hearts with us for us. Okay, so there's a pressing and a crushing and a maturing that has to happen when it puts in an oak barrel. And sometimes it will sit for 12 months or 14 months, and we're going, God, but look at my grapes. They're so good, look at these grapes. Look at the fruit of my life. And God's going, wait till you see what I got for you. I just need a little time. I'm in the waiting, okay? This is a wine uh, I smuggled in from Italy, don't don't tell anybody, from Tuscany this last week. Uh, It's a Brunello, right? It's a Brunello, and a Brunello wine actually is, uh, they have requirements. It has to sit in wood for two years, and then it has to sit in a bottle for three years. Five years before you can even sell that. Five years. What started out as, hey, look at these grapes. And the winemaker's going, five years later, look what I'm gonna do with your life. And so when you think about this passage, it's not just about vine and branches. It's about what God wants to do and you staying connected to Him. And I want to talk really quick as I'm kind of ending our time here. Is um, we talked about remain in Me and abide in Me, and those are the passage, those are the words that God uses to talk about what it means to stay connected to Him. How do you want to stay connected to Jesus? This is it right here. Remain in Me or abide is actually a, a, a transitive verb. It means that it's this can't be a, a, a verb that says run or walk. It has to have an object. So when he's saying remain in me and abide in me, he's saying the object is me, Jesus. You have to stay connected to me. And so what happens is it gives, there's four definitions when you take the Greek and and, and kind of sort it out. There's four definitions that give us kind of four things of what it means to stay connected to him. Okay. So the four things, the first one is this, because it's a verb, it says it means to be moved. You know, when we talk about faith and wanting more faith and wanting God to do some incredible things in our life, oftentimes it's we pray for more faith. And uh, it's not faith that we should be praying for. It's, It's obedience to the situations that God has put in our heart that we step into and our faith grows through that. And so some of you have been wanting God to move in your life in a powerful way. And you know, you know, there's a stirring, you know, there's a prompting, you know, that God is doing something and God is saying, would you just trust me and take a step? Would you move into me and watch what the relationship and the intimacy can do as I step in this with you? And so to abide in him means to step into, to move into what God wants for you. And there's some things that we have to do and when, when Jesus is going, remain in me and I'll remain in you, that's a, that's, a, that's a relationship. That's an intimacy that's happening. We have to pursue that. The second thing is it means to stand. To stand on something physically on the promises of God. You know, we're wanting to see God move in incredible ways. We're to see miraculous things happen. And one of the questions I was asked is, um, as we're church planning, because you need a lot of miracles when you church plan, right? Right? Um, is they said, Matt, do you actually believe God is who he says he is? Do you actually believe he's the God of the universe? Do you actually believe this is his church? Do you actually believe that he has all the resources he possibly needs to build a church? Do you actually believe that he's for you and not against you? Do you actually believe that he loves you unconditionally? And so what does it look like for us to stand on those promises in the midst of the chaotic situation that's happening in our life? Whatever that terroir might be to God, you are good and you are for me and you love me and I'm gonna hold on, hope against hope, that you are who you say you are. And some of us need that promises for our life. The third definition of abide is to spend the night or stay overnight. And this is an issue of time. You can't be in a relationship with anybody and not spend time with them. And when was the last time That you spent time with Jesus on your knees, worshiping him for who he is, and praying for the things that you need him to move into. That's about time. That's about looking at your calendar, and the enemy takes us and makes us busy, makes us do all of these kinds of things, and he goes, would you just carve out 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just to be with me? And if you're willing to listen, I will speak to you. I will move. And the last thing he says is to dwell to take up residence in your life. You know I, know, I know this is an iPad, but let's just pretend my Bible's on here too, you know. Um, all of you guys have electronic Bibles, right? Hold them up, great. Um, the Bible's just not a book. It's just not a, a bunch of pages. The Bible is living and active and Breathing. And, and sometimes we wonder, God, I need discernment. I need wisdom. I need you to move. And my question would be, I wonder how much time you're spending in a living, breathing document, oh, re- getting f- f- refreshing and living water from Jesus. And it means to dwell. And so in the midst of the most chaotic situation for the disciples' life, when they didn't know what was ahead of them, they didn't know death awaited around the corner, They didn't know persecution waited around the corner. Jesus' final message to his disciples was John 15. Will you stay connected to me? Will you let me be the source of everything you need? And I will produce fruit in your life. And I'm not sure where you guys came into this space today, but I believe that there are some of you that are desperate to stay connected to who he is. That you are believing and standing on the miracles that you need to see happen in your life. And I want you to hear the message today is an invitation from Jesus that he loves you, he wants to provide for you, he wants to give you everything you need to produce what God has for you. That's what this is about. And I want to invite you in this moment, as we get ready to worship, is I just want to pray for for a couple different groups, of people in this room. And if you guys would just bow your heads and just kind of close your eyes, I want you to hear the invitation that Jesus has given you. Do you want to be connected to me? You want to let me be the source of your life. And for some of you, that might be the first time you've heard that. And This isn't about who's around you or what other people are doing. This is about you and Jesus. It's about you as a branch and him as the vine. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not connected to him, I'm going to pray a prayer. And would you just pray that prayer with me as we're kind of just just under your breath, and I'll pray it for us. But I just want you to wrestle with that invitation that Jesus has for you. Lord, you are our Savior, you are our hope. Lord, we confess with our mouth that you are who you say you are. We confess that we are sinners and we are broken and we are in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus, would you come into my life today? I want to be forever changed, forever connected to you. We just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And for those of you that are wanting that deeper relationship with him, would you just put your hands out in front of you, just just receive. I just want to pray that, that God just fills you up with the Holy Spirit that he gives you opportunities to be connected with him. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit just comes right now. Lord, that your Holy Spirit just moves in our lives. Lord, that you stir in our hearts. Lord, that you love us so deeply. Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities to step into what you have for us. Lord, I pray that in the midst of all the situations that are happening in life, that we can hold on to your promises and believe you are who you say you are. Lord, would you just have our way with us? And Lord, we lift up those things that are causing us to doubt and we surrender them to you. We thank you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.
0: If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com?